Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Saturday, March the 26th, 2022, to be replayed on Monday, March the 28th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our our 101st post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Welcome. Today is Saturday, March 26, 2022. We are inundated with images and information about the unfolding military invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Almost every day, members of our government give press conferences and updates that our media dutifully report to the U.S. public. What is missing is any substantial interest in delivery of what Russia is thinking What are their motivations that prompted the invasion? If our primary motivation is to get at the truth of the forces for and against democracy, and our underlying principle that drives our motivations is that at its heart, democracy is that which is best for the majority, and that there is no such thing as a lesser human being because all life is sacred, then holding our government accountable to truth-telling and being accountable for negligent foreign policy behavior outcomes is a responsibility of a democratic government and governance. And the accountability must be held and demanded by the electorate or it will never occur. Last week, we addressed the war crimes issue of U.S. behavior in Iraq versus the execution of the invasion by Russia in the Ukraine. And we suggest that the barometer to measure such a thing lies in how the civilian populations are treated during sanction and war times. This week, we switch to trying to determine who and what to believe in these informational wars. And in that vein, we visit the integrity or the lack thereof between what we are told by our government and what history has revealed in order to judge the veracity or the deceitfulness of that historical governmental messaging. We do that because each U.S. intervention has a rationale of why it is necessary for that intervention, and it is followed with a narrative during its subsequent execution. And what is so disturbing and underreported is the long history of our government consistently misrepresenting the truth of the matter in order to justify war and intervention. Just a few examples is that we were lied to about Vietnam. The Pentagon Papers revealed without doubt we were lied to as policy regarding the execution of the Vietnam War. The Afghan Papers revealed the same, that we were lied to for 20 years regarding the winnability and the 20-year intervention there. In Iraq, we were lied to. We were told Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. There were none. 
We were told Saddam was behind 9-11 and that Saddam was harboring al-Qaeda, all proven to be lies and or falsehoods, if you will. Many still believe those lies. Tonight, we autopsy yet another foreign policy prosecution or presentation that was made to the United States public. This time, it was in Syria that led us to the brink of a full-fledged airstrike war following the horrific August 21, 2013 El Gota, Syria, sarin gas attacks. These gas attacks were immediately blamed by our government on the Assad government with complete certainty. But were they? At the time, bringing light into darkness, notice the absence of evidence to support those claims, led by Secretary of State at the time, John Kerry, in his September 3, 2013, sworn testimony in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Yet they were held as absolute truths by the media as well as all these spokespersons for our government. So bringing light into darkness called out once again in real time the absence of evidence for the certainty claim. Years later, rootclaim.org validated our concerns and the concerns expressed by esteemed investigative reporters such as Seymour Hirsch who was not allowed to publish his material in the American press, so had to have it published in the London Book of Review. This, mind you, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter with a history of veracity in his reporting. Rootclaim.org seeks to do what we at Bringing Light into Darkness do each week, namely to separate out the political distortion of facts and conjecture around important events and get to the root of the matter by laying out both sides of opposing viewpoints and examining the veracity of those claims that support each position. Rootclaim.org did precisely that regarding the August 21, 2013 sarin gas attack in Syria, and recently, as of just June 18th of 2021, they updated their final analysis in a piece entitled, New Evidence Resolves the Controversy Surrounding the 2013 Syria Sarin Attack. And they claimed, rootclaim.org, with 96.4% certainty that it was not the Assad government, but the opposition terrorist-laden rebels that executed the attack. So Bringing Light into Darkness has done a number of shows related to this topic, and we're excerpting significant portions from our November 30th, 2020 show that are perfectly relevant to our discussion today. They surround the testimony by Secretary of State John Kerry at the time. And this was testimony in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing. And it was regarding the authorization that the Obama government was asking of U.S. military action against Syria and the Syrian government for the sarin gas attacks we alluded to of August 21st, 2013, that killed hundreds of people. It's really quite an amazing story. Our government assures us in terms of absolute certainty without providing supporting evidence of that certainty. Meanwhile, later, an independent organization presents all its evidence in a transparent manner and with 96.4% certainty indicates it was not the Assad government. Why did you not hear about this report so you could examine its veracity for yourself? Meanwhile, we came within a whisker of an all-out war in Syria, it begs the question, what forces are running our foreign policy and have generated such deceit over all of these years? It also begs the question, should we believe what we think about the Ukraine-Russia conflict when the Russian position has been so poorly vetted? There's been pretty much an 
complete absence of vetting the Russian position. And this is not to endorse the invasion by Russia, but if we want to understand the truth of the matter, how can we completely leave out the support and information that one side has to offer? So I implore you, please listen to the show and its content and judge for yourself. This is John Kerry, our Secretary of State, who's an active cabinet person in our current administration. And this show is going to detail a half a dozen, not one, not two, but a half dozen falsehoods that he presented, not in a TV interview, but under oath to our very own Senate Foreign Relations Committee during a hearing regarding the authorization of U.S. military action that we were seeking against Syria that came again within a whisker of fruition. Yet he is gainfully employed in our current presidential administration without any accountability for his falsehoods of the most dangerous type, those that can lead to war. Enjoy. Over the last couple of shows, we have detailed in some depth Joe Biden's foreign policy record of his last 50 years since Vietnam and including Iraq. We have discussed Tony Blinken and Michelle Portnoy and other likely candidates that have yet been nominated by Joe Biden. During tonight's show, though, we turn our attention to John Kerry, who has just been named as Climate Envoy. John Kerry, the Climate Envoy, was a Massachusetts senator for 28 years. He ran for the president of the United States in 2004. He was secretary of state in Obama's second term. His character has been described as beyond reproach, and he seems to be the only appointment that all of Congress, from conservative to radical, have no problem with. Speaking in Wilmington, Delaware, just last week on Tuesday, the 24th of November, the president-elect Joe Biden, referring to his recent appointees, said, quote, it's a team that reflects the fact that America is back, ready to lead the world, not retreat from it. Once again, sit at the head of the table, ready to confront our adversaries and not reject our allies, ready to stand up for our values, end quote. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris added, when Joe asked me to be his running mate, he told me about his commitment to make sure of selecting a cabinet that looks like America, that reflects the very best of our nation, and that is what we have done. I would just caution that what's most important in character is character principles based behavior and ideology that does not betray that character principle based nature. And while it is absolutely a necessity and an imperative to have people of color and women more populated in our positions of governmental power, if they don't have ideologies that reflect the founding principles of our country and to respect the sovereignty of other nations and to guide our foreign policy and our policies in general accordingly in the vision of, of serving the majority population, then we still have huge problems in this country. But what Biden said, I, I want to get back to Biden's description of John Kerry. And he said that in John Kerry, America would have a full-time climate leader for the first time, somebody with a seat at every table around the world. He also said of Kerry, he's one of my closest friends and would be speaking for America on one of the most prescient threats of our time. No one I trust more. President Obama came literally a whisker from attacking Syria following the August 21st, 2013 sarin gas attack. I remember that there was no greater cheerleader for going to war at that time than a Secretary of State, John Kerry. John Kerry led a team of Obama administration officials, which included General Dempsey, 
and Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel in his Senate testimony of September 3rd, 2013. I also remember listening to it in its entirety live on C-SPAN, then rereading the transcript due to its unbelievability to me at the time. And the focus of tonight's show is on that testimony under oath by John Kerry. And I believe that reflects a character that has been swept under the rug and needs to be out for public view and recalibration. So tonight's show will focus on John Kerry's testimony and will also reveal that that testimony was driven more under the guise of fixing the facts around the policy than trying to reveal the true truth of at the time to the American public. And this is based by my own independent studies during and before Kerry's words, as well as later publications by a number of journalists led by the investigative journalist and Pulitzer Prize winning writer Seymour Hirsch, who subsequently published several articles that were consistent with mine and many others' concerns at the time of Kerry's Senate misleading testimony. So when I say misleading and when I say fixing the facts around the policy, the terms plausible deniability and propaganda need and deserve further explication. The terms plausible deniability is a term that we have used on the show before and is really important because it is the ultimate gift of propaganda. Plausible deniability is a condition in which a subject can safely and believably deny knowledge of any particular truth that may exist because the subject can plausibly deny it by lying, knowingly betraying the truth. Or one can plausibly deny when the subject is deliberately made unaware of the said truth so as to benefit or shield the subject from any responsibility associated through the knowledge of such truth. For instance, sometimes a president can be insulated through plausible deniability in this way. Either way, it is the public citizenry that has led farther from the truth through this deceit. For the purposes of this show, Propaganda is defined as any systematic widespread dissemination or promotion of inaccurate information, allegations, etc., to assist or damage the cause of a government or counter-movement in order to influence people away from the truth. Whether or not John Caringly knowingly or unknowingly misled the American public, I leave to the listeners' critical discretion following the completion of listening to this show content. For me, the numerous instances of deception seem to suggest that this was a knowing act, to which to date there has been no accountability for. So I think the first place to start regarding the multiple misrepresentations that were presented to the American people connected to the August 21st, 2013 sarin gas attacks is that some were communicated directly by the words and responses to Senate questioning under oath by John Kerry and some were falsehoods or misrepresentations he allowed to go unchallenged, thus tacitly endorsing falsehoods or unsubstantiated claims made by others during the Senate hearing that he was a lead witness at. So the, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing we were alluding to followed the August 21st, 2013 sarin gas attack by only two weeks. It was on September 3rd, 2013, that the Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing occurred. The purpose was to debate the possible authorization of U.S. military action against the Syrian government. And it also included testimony 
by Secretary of State John Kerry, Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Martin Dempsey. But in addition to John Kerry's verbal misrepresentations, there were other misrepresentations he was parted to by remaining silent when they were asserted by others. So I would start with the first misrepresentation that he uttered at the hearings, namely that with absolute certainty that it was the Assad government and not the opposition forces that executed the chemical attacks of August 13th, 2013. So the first assertion that Kerry gives that we believe can be shown to be a misrepresentation is this false certainty of his claims that Assad did it. So the words that Kerry used in his testimony was, quote, the Assad regime and only undeniably the Assad regime unleashed an outrageous chemical attack against its own citizens, end quote. That's the certainty of his claim. And this is what we are going to show is unsubstantiated. He goes on, I repeat here again today that only the most willful desire to avoid reality can assert that this did not occur as described or that the regime did not do it. It did happen and the Assad regime did it. In addition, as evidence that Assad did it, Kerry went on to claim his second false assertion, namely that, quote, we are certain that none of the opposition has the weapons or capacity to effect a strike of this scale, end quote. So before returning to the first claim and providing evidence to contradict John Kerry's false certainty that Assad did it, let us first provide evidence to the falsity of his second claim, that only the Assad government had the capability of making and putting together such a chemical strike. And we base that off a couple of sources. One in an article by Stephen Sahomni in an event that occurred and was reported by several news agencies back on May 30th, 2013. So this is somewhat three months before this strike. Turkey found sarin gas in the homes of suspected Syrian Islamists. Security forces found two kilogram cylinder with sarin gas after searching the homes of Syrian militants from the Al-Qaeda-linked Al-Nusra front who were previously detained. So this is in Turkey, the NATO ally of the United States. And the Turkish media reports the gas was reportedly going to be used in a bomb. The sarin gas was found to be in the homes of suspected Syrian Islamists detained in the southern provinces of Adana and Mercia, M-E-R-S-I-A, following a search by Turkish police, reports say. The gas was allegedly going to be used to carry out an attack in Turkey. So al-Nusra is well known, and al-Qaeda-linked al-Nusra front is well known to be very active in Syria. Thus, the capacity and the potential for them to have been involved in this gas attack is real. With regard to this particular prosecution, Turkish special anti-terror forces arrested some 12 suspected members of the Al-Nusra Front, the Al-Qaeda-affiliated group, which has been dubbed the most aggressive and successful arm of the Syrian rebels. You know, there you go. The group was designated a terrorist organization by the United States in December, which I presume is 2012, since this article is being written in May 30th of 2013. And let me quickly add that we presented this information in real time, along with other contradictions that you will hear in the show today, immediately following 
the accusations of absolute certainty that it was the Assad government and not the U.S. supported opposition that executed the gas attack. And a not uncommon response was we were accused of being Assad apologists. Additionally, Seymour Hersh independently in his later writings asserts further evidence that contradicts Kerry's second false claim. Basically, Kerry promised everyone that the opposition did not have the capabilities to make such a strike. Kerry claimed, quote, we are certain that none of the opposition has the weapons or capacity to effect a strike of this scale, end quote. In his article, Who's Saren, Seymour Hirsch wrote back on December 8, 2013, in the London Review of Books, in that article, Who's Saren, he made two relative important comments. Referring to President Obama, he indicates, quote, Obama did not tell the whole story while trying to make the case of Assad responsibility for the August 21st, 2013 Sarin attack. In some instances, he omitted important intelligence, and in others, he presented assumptions as facts, end quote. Hirsch goes on, most significant, he failed to acknowledge something known to the U.S. intelligence community, that the Syrian army is not the only party in the country's civil war with access to Sarin, end quote. That al-Nazra opposition mastered ability to create Sarin and of manufacturing it in quantities of significance. Later in the same article, Seymour Hirsch writes, in a series of highly classified reports by American intelligence agencies, the classified reports Hirsch claims they were, quote, citing evidence that the al-Nusra Front, the jihadic group affiliated with al-Qaeda, had mastered the mechanics of creating sarin and was capable of manufacturing it in quantity. When the attack occurred, al-Nusra should have been a suspect, but the administration cherry-picked intelligence to justify a strike against Assad, end quote. So then, returning to the first claim that Kerry made without providing the supporting evidence, he claimed with absolute certainty that the Assad government was responsible for the 821-2013 sarin gas attack. In fact, during his testimony on the 3rd of September of 2013 in front of the Senate committee we were talking about, these claims were accompanied by a White House report. And the name of the report was the White House Office of the Press Secretary for Immediate Release, August 30th, 2013. It was a government assessment of the Syrian government's use of chemical weapons on August 21st, 2013. It was accompanied by a map. Now, the absolute certainty in which Kerry asserted the Assad government did it was largely based on this false claim that we already stated and shown to be false, namely that only the Assad government had the capability for such an attack. Again, as Kerry indicates, we are certain that none of the opposition has the weapons or capacity to affect a strike of this scale. We've already disproven that, okay? So with regard to the August 30th, 2013 White House report, which was submitted as the supporting evidence that Assad did it, the burning question at the time that myself and many others were concerned about, including the Veterans for Intelligence Professionals led by veterans in the CIA for dozens and dozens of years. The burning question was, why was this report from the White House and not from the intelligence community? NIE's National Intelligence Estimate reports are a product of that U.S. intelligence community. They have been routinely used 
especially on issues as grave as whether to go to war or not, and the result in the U.S. potentially going to war. In fact, it was an NIE that suggested Iran had no military and nuclear weapons program when Dick Cheney and the Bush White House were considering air attacks on Iran. A national intelligence estimate includes all intelligence agency inputs and also allows and includes dissenting views and justifications for those views. Yet there was no NIE and Kerry never volunteered why not. Probably because they couldn't get one. That was consistent with their intentions to get the green light to bomb Syria. Moreover, accompanying the White House report came a map alleging where the missiles were fired from, alleging government-controlled areas, as well as rebel-controlled areas, as Kerry pointed out in his evidence-free assertion with absolute certainty that it was the Assad government that had launched these sarin gas attacks, allegedly from rebel-controlled areas. Subsequently, a January 14, 2014 report entitled Possible Implications of Faulty U.S. Technical Intelligence, Richard Lloyd, who was a former United Nations weapons inspector, and Theodore Postel, a professor of science, technology, and national security policy at MIT, both esteemed and well-respected physicists and missile experts, argued from a physics point of view that the question about the rocket's range indicates a major weakness in the case for military action initially pressed by the Obama administration officials, presumably referring to the Senate hearings we're talking about. But their study of the rocket's design, namely Lloyd's and Postal's, indicated the likely payload and its possible trajectories show that it would have been impossible for the rocket to have been fired from inside areas controlled by the government of Syrian President Bashar Assad. In an article that cites this and other information, you can access news analysis of rocket used in Syria chemical attack undercut U.S. claims, which was posted on January 16, 2014 by Matthew Schofield of McClatchy, a foreign staff writer. So according to this November 13, 2014 article by Dr. Postal and Dr. Lloyd, Possible Implications of Faulty U.S. Intelligence in the Damascus by the former U.N. inspector we already mentioned, Richard Lloyd, and Theodore Postal, the uh, MIT physicist, there are a number of contradictions and facts that led to questions about the claims from the White House, okay? In other words, what we're questioning here tonight. And they list several of them. One of them was the improvised chemical munitions that were used in the August 21st nerve agent attack on Damascus have a range of only two kilometers, which is 1.2 miles. And the UN independent assessment of the range of the chemical munition is in exact agreement with their findings of a range of only two kilometers. So those are the first two facts that lead to the questionable assertion that Kerry makes that only Assad was responsible for this. But before we resume with our programming for tonight, we first need to take a break for the cause. I want to remind you this is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is the premier community radio station of the nation and we will be back in a flash. Stay tuned. 